All right. He's Carl. He's Josh. And I'm Sterling, and this is... Every, Every other, other Friday. Friday. Well, we've got to work on that, man. Yeah. We've got to work on that opening, guys. It's going to get better. I mean, we'll, why don't we only work on it when we actually do these <laughs> sessions? You know, this is practice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hey, everybody. We gotta, welcome to another edition of Every Other Friday uh, with uh, Josh, Carl, and Sterling. We have a special guest with us today, uh, Corey, who is going to join us for today's episode and maybe some more episodes in the future. You know, uh, Corey. Hey, everybody. Hey, how's it going? Doing good. A little bit uh, early. This every other Friday turned into Saturday morning, apparently. I don't know what's going on here. We'll that's, see what you guys are up to. That's the uh, uh, allure of the name. We just record whenever we want to. But, <laughs> and then we post whenever we want to. But, you know, it's like viral marketing. We keep people on their toes. <laughs> totally. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome. Yeah, I've got a few topics to talk about today. I think we want to probably kick it off with the big one, the, uh, the post office, the USPS, and their um, situation with their financing. I um, uh, have a personal, not, maybe not a personal stake in it, but my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad, was a postal carrier for like 20 years. Um, and, uh, and I used the post office, obviously. Um, Probably a lot of people use the post office and businesses use the post office and having the idea of going away uh, because of funding uh, sucks. And um, I think there's a lot of things people can do about it. What do you guys think about it? What have you heard about it? What do you think about it? Well, uh, <clears throat> starting off here, you know, um, I, to me, it's the United States Postal Service, right? So, you know, that's, Basically, it's Pony Express kind of was the the front runner for it, and it kind of escalated and evolved into what we have now. And personally, I honestly believe that should just be part of our budget. You know, we want to have a mail system in place. Um, yeah, we got technology nowadays. It really kind of probably sucks a lot of the air out of its sails as far as you know uh, pieces of mail being sent. I think it topped out around 2008 or so at like 105 billion pieces of mail or something like that if I remember the number correctly and I think now we're down to almost half that if not more and most of it's you know not uh letters you know in the army 25 years ago I was writing letters to my mom and dad and family members and stuff like that you know that was how I communicated most of the time and especially in basic and AIT. <clears throat> but, uh, uh, you know, I think it's something that needs to be kept in place and, and supported by the taxpayers. I think it's something that we, if you were to take a poll, I would imagine everybody would want at least that ability to have that, uh, that line of communication. Yeah, I don't even think taxpayers are paying anything <clears throat> for They the aren't. Um, no, they're not. Yeah, but so, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I think it should be a line bu item budget or a line item in the budget as funding the postal service. Uh, I think, uh, you know, to your point, Carl. Um, you know, the the mail probably has gone down a little bit in terms of pieces of mail, but you know, it's what is so like if there's. Six 
So this is a, something I saw on uh, Common Dreams article about the truth about the post office that came out um, just in uh, March of last, I'm oh, sorry, March of 2012, you know, and I'll talk about why this article is relevant um, in terms of the date anyway. But they said that um, each day, six days a week, um, there's an average of 563 million pieces of mail reaching the doorstep in every, you know, all around the country. And even if that's per week, 563 million pieces of mail per week, even if they're just all 55 cent stamps, it's like $309 million a week, you know, that gross, of course, right? And of course, this number has probably changed since this article came out, you know, that's about $16 billion a year. Now, the reason I think this is interesting, because back then they were writing about how Back in 2012, they were writing about how the post office is in trouble, and that's because, in my opinion, uh, the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act of 2006 is what really caused this huge budgetary shortfall for the post office when the Congress required that for the next five years, they had to put away enough money for all of the pensions and health care for the next 75 years. And they only had a window from 2007 to 2016 to save that money. On top of that, that bill also restricted them from what they could invest in for their future funds. And so they could no longer diversify what their investments were in. They could only invest in government bonds, which are, have a pretty low rate of return. And so they had to save even more to hit those numbers that they were required to have. So this 2006 Postal Accountability Enhancement Act, um, had them store all this money and put it away for future needs. Um, that's not required by any other company that they compete with, UPS, FedEx. Um, and it seems to me like they have that money somewhere. It's put away for this future years. They don't necessarily need to have a, a bailout package or anything. They just need to rescind this act or modify this act so they can actually access some of that money to cover the shortfalls that they have right now and alter it maybe so they don't come into this situation again. But that's just my personal opinion. I don't know if, what, what you guys have to say about that. Yeah, yeah. it was just, it was kind of designed as a, um, a a way to wedge in privatization. From what I understood, is you know this was um, what Bush era is that is that Mike yep. correct there uh, yep. two thousand six and uh, the whole you know the the general GOP idea of all of this was privatize everything and turn it over to, to business. And so they couldn't simply kill it. So the idea is to make it as onerous as possible so that something like this does happen. You know, the situation that they find themselves in does happen. And that's essentially treating it like a company already, right? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the only services that's actually written into the constitution, mm -hmm. the United States Postal Service or, or mail service. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a situation we find ourselves in, and I, don't, I think that this is almost by design, you know. Mm -hmm. Sterling, yeah, uh, I'd agree a hundred percent with that. And I thought it was interesting. I was looking at the House resolutions this last year, and House Resolution two three eight two passed the House on February fifth. It was like. 380 to 100 for and against and it was actually a vote to repeal the requirement that they prepay benefits 
And of course, right now you can guess it's stuck in the Senate, not <laughs> been brought to the floor. So that now it's what, 600 bills just sitting there? Do nothing, McConnell. Uh, is that- and I did a little more research, and according to government executive, in 2018, uh, the Trump task force brought back this idea of privatizing it. Then they tried to counter, how about we eliminate their right to collective bargaining, um, upcharge, on e-commerce packages, but keep the low price for peer-to-peer mailing. Um, And now in 2020, that's been updated. And they recently said, and this was before the whole coronavirus thing when other things mattered to talk about at White House briefings. Right. They were talking about a current plan that would not, we wouldn't need to privatize it, but it'll shed about 7,000 employees between now and next year. Hmm. And for me, looking at it, the USPS, when you compare them with FedEx and UPS, they have the highest wages of all of them, the best benefits for people out of all of them. And it's just kind of this idea of we need to make government look inefficient so that we can say, oh, my God, look how inefficient the government is. We have to just privatize it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's similar to we were talking about George Bush. If we look at his dad and Reagan's idea of privatizing Social Security that didn't go very well in Chile with Pinochet, right? They were promised 80% of their final wages. It's currently at like 37% of their wages is what they're getting in social security. So it's this big idea of, you know, privatize absolutely everything. We have to make it look as inefficient as possible so that we can blame the government for it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it it does go away and, another company fills the void either an existing company you you know uh, fedex or what have you um they're going to pick up that revenue from that or if they're if they're really sneaky they'll have their friends already in place i thought about this i'm like well if they want to get rid of the post office why don't why isn't there a company that just starts up that's like the post office charges 55 cents to deliver mail and or whatever the rates are but isn't beholden to all of these governmental institutions and then, you know, just do that, run it just like it is and not be the effect of that 2006 act and be a private company. So you could do like other large companies and have, you know, all of your holdings in Ireland or a bunch of cash on hand somewhere mm-hmm. in a shell company to avoid taxation or what have you, right? Like <clears throat> it seems like you know, there's a chance for some nefarious opportunities to swoop in and then, of course, you know, go to the Capitol and get buddy-buddy with people and be like, oh, so-and-so wants me to help them, you know, lose these votes in the mail. Or I don't even know if you could call it mail at that time. I guess you could call it mail because there's electronic mail and that's not associated with the USPS. But, um, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, Trump has spoken about before hating Jeff Bezos and Amazon and how they use the USPS and also Bezos owns the Washington Post, which Trump hates. And, um, and Trump seems to hate voting mailing too. So it seems like there's other things going into potentially what people, what, what the administration is getting steered to do in regards to all of this as well. So um, well, voting and mailing is a whole nother topic. That's a general GOP dislike, mm-hmm. <laughs> which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because as many Democrats out there that would vote mail-in, you're going to have Republicans voting mail-in. So it's actually a, more of a, be a true count of people voting. But I want to revise 
something. So I had said the total mail volume. It's actually first class volume. I only go back 10 years, but 10 years ago, it was 77.6 billion first class volume. Now it's down to 54.9 billion um, mail volume. These are USPS numbers actually. Mail volume actually back in 2010 was at 170, just under 171 billion. And now it's down to 142.6 billion. So, you know, over a span of 10 years, you know, there is a decrease of mail volume that is trending and due to technology. Um, but businesses still like to throw coupons out there. They like uh, the value pack. You know, there's still a value there for businesses. I go through my value pack all the time to see, you know, what can apply, you know, blinds, Home Depot, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's, you still can get a huge outreach blanket coverage of advertising and you know should the usps be charging more for it potentially but you know at the same time um it's a institution as corey said written into written into the constitution you know you can't just blow away parts of the constitution without having some sort of ratification right so i mean one would, one would you know help. how are you just going to blow away the mail system yeah so I mean, they're trying but you know and um <clears throat> i think the you know you, you just quoted some first class figures there um in my business over the last 10 years i've pretty much exclusively used usps for shipping my products all over the world uh especially international but um for uh, for shipping cameras all over the world, uh, I use the priority mail system, which is like two days, two to three days anywhere in the United States, which, mm-hmm. which is crazy. And the, the pricing is great. Um, and so maybe that first class, I mean, you, you almost have to break out the probably increased volume of uh, parcels, as they call them, versus first class. You know, I can see letters going down and, and the return on investment there is fairly low if you're talking about inexpensive stamps, right? And all the processing that has to be done to make that happen. But then you're also talking about, you know, a, a, 15, a 12 to $15 package for your priority mail and your, um, your other parcels um, services that you offer, which is a much, probably a much higher um, uh, revenue stream, especially with increase in volume, you know? Right. Um, so it might be interesting to see that broken out, um, over, so, over time. Corey, to support your numbers, they do have shipping package volume broken out here on the USPS, uh, facts.usps.com website. And it's, uh, in 2010, 3.1 billion pieces, uh, were shipped, uh, as far as what qualifies as a shipping package volume, uh, 10 years later, as of 2019 doubled to 6.2 billion. So you are right. They have, they have taken up um, more volume in their, in their. And I don't know what that means as far as like, you know, profit to, you know, the ratio that that actually supports in, in the loss of first class, but um, you know, that the first probably doesn't offset. Obviously it doesn't offset the, the personal, you know, I mean, yeah. 200 million people versus, you know, hundred thousand businesses will say, or whatever that volume is, that ratio mm-hmm. is I'm not sure. It probably doesn't make up for, for that, but 
it's another avenue, right? They started, they started that priority shipping and, and it helped offset some of their, their expenses. Yeah. There's been talk of them getting into the banking industry, you know, I mean, they have all this right. retirement cash, right. That's, that's available to back up a, 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 a new credit union type bank or something like that. So why not open them up to allowing to do some other business ventures that might help them offset those costs? Yeah, yeah exactly. Especially with the fractional reserve, you know, they only need to keep one tenth of that cash on hand to cover anything. And so they can give out 10 times the amount of in loans of whatever cash it is that they have. Right. Which is probably a really good number considering they need to have healthcare and pension for 75 years saved up. I'm exactly. guessing that's a big number. That's probably times 10. a big number is what their their lending rate would be right um it's not a bad idea because banks usually get bailed out all the time so even if they did become insolvent at that point they just it'd be easier to maybe bail them out because they're more closer to the federal reserve people <laughs> um but sterling no um you were talking about how good old moscow mitch is sitting on sitting on one of many uh items <laughs> To, to that could resolve a lot of the issues, you know, at least for this particular topic. Um, God, is he close to getting voted out? Does anybody know? His uh, opponent is, uh, I want to say her last name is McGrath, McGrath, something like McGrath. that. McGrath. Yeah, McGrath. Think, yeah. And she's advertising nationwide. <laughs> yeah. Currently, yeah. she's, uh, I think the polling still has Mitch ahead, but his approval rating is only like 33%. If he does get elected, it'll reelected. It'll be his last term, but I think it's definitely going to be a bigger fight than he's had before. Just because the last few years with him as the majority leader has been so negative on the national scale. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Boy, but if we could just get him out and someone in place to pass all those things to approve mm-hmm. those things what the country would look like then yeah you know i think people undervalue how important that is because it doesn't matter if you have you know president trump president biden president sanders if mitch mcconnell's there in the senate and decides he's not going to bring anything to the floor then your hands are super tied Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah gotta vote for the senate gotta vote for congress gotta vote for all those house and and stuff that's a big thing um, that needs to get, I think it's been kind of getting more and more attention lately, like where to really make impactful change instead of just the presidential election. Like you really got to get different, you know, like, you know, the Congress members, the House state representatives, all of those um, to really make a big change. Right. I think, I don't know what your guys' opinions are. Yeah. It's like, it's like, um, don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. And what they're doing is stacking all of the local state house and Congress and the, the um, judicial um, system. And so they know that's where the power lies is at the local level, which can actually, you know, really go so far to change how the national picture looks and to really lock in a a way of governing for uh, generations to come. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, 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 this last four years has been like this study in the, the super complex system dynamics. And I can see how, how far 
some of those GOP operatives, not the, not the face of the GOP, but the operatives who have been thinking about it for years and years and years and how this is kind of their big play. And now we're seeing it play out in Mitch McConnell's actions um, on a day-to-day basis. What he's decided to do and what he's decided not to do is exactly the, the, the game plan that they're putting in place to really put a lock on um, whatever you want to call it, this ideal ideology that they're, they're moving towards. I'm not even sure what the end game is. I, that's the one thing I haven't been able to ever figure out is what, what is the end game here? Like, what do you think this is actually going to look like? Russia after this? Is that, is that cool? Is that what we want? Cause that, that didn't seem to work. But then again, I, I guess I, my opinion of what works and what doesn't is skewed. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just kind of watching what they're, the game that they're running at the state level is, is really where the, the, the major change is happening and has been happening for the last 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sterling, yeah. you've, go ahead and chime in on this. Cause I know you've, I know you've got an opinion on this. Um, I think what's most frustrating to me is that there is no apparent ideology at least coming from the very top. So I think Trump is purely there for kind of a power move. Cause if you go back yeah. to 2000, when he ran for, I believe the reform party, it was look how awesome universal health care is. I mean, he still had abhorrent immigration policy, but there's no ideology there to pull from. No, he's the shiny keys. Yeah. The distraction, you know, like there he's dangling the shiny keys, like a look at this, look at this, look at this. And then the operatives are actually, uh, you, you mm-hmm. don't listen to what they say. You, you watch what they do yeah. and what they're doing is that stacking of the judicial yeah. Yeah, and I think the judicial judicial is super important because if you go back, I mean, when FDR was putting in New Deal legislation, there were judges appointed by Teddy Roosevelt making decisions on that. That's 30 years later. Mm -hmm. And the conservatives have been very smart about putting in very young, very far right judges that, I mean, they'll be making decisions 40 years from now. And that is very dangerous because, you know, yeah. you can't vote that out. Yeah. You can't just change that with one, you know, big election swing this way. Unless there's a military coup and they just all get put against the wall. <laughs> I'm not condoning that. I'm just saying there's <laughs> options. I think yeah, I don't know. Even some of these guys that they're putting in just seem like like these guys haven't ever even tried a case type of thing. And like I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they literally get impeached. At, you know, in a, in a couple of years, if if there ever is a switch of power here, if we, if if this we get these guys out of power, like you know, they stack up ten DUIs or something like that. These guys are nuts. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think there will be some attrition, but that's not like the, the amount of judges that they put in place is crazy. I think that's the one thing I was. I unfortunately listened to Ben Shapiro to try to get other viewpoints. And that was his argument is the one reason you should vote for Trump is the one thing he's been successful at more than any other president is putting in judges. But the thing is, is it's not him. Well, yes. With McConnell there again, them working together. That's the only thing he brings there. (laughs) He's, he's putting in people who they tell him to put in. He's yeah. not pick. He, I mean, you see the people oh, he no. picks for positions, right? Vince McMahon. I don't know if that. Uh, I, I almost feel like that was an Onion article. You know, 
that he put in Vince McMahon. I, I didn't know if that's true or not, and I haven't had a chance to look it up, but if it's true, oh my God. It is, it is. He, okay, hold I mean, and fill me in. He is appointed it? Vince McMahon as the head of restarting the economy panel that he put together or whatever, whatever the guy, it was. The guy that runs the wrestling thing? The guy, yeah, the guy who just, his XFL just declared bankruptcy because, oh my you know, God. It, you know, so, I mean, this is this. that's what I'm saying. There's certain people that you see that he picks, and then there's the underlying group who are actually doing the picking and putting them in place. There's a huge difference of, 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 um, call it uh, resumes or whatever, when Donald Trump picks somebody versus the establishment, the established GOP picking people. Mm-hmm. So, and they turn, the GOP turns a blind eye to it because, I mean, talk about a great distraction. Let's throw Vince McMahon out there. And all of a sudden you have 10 articles spin up and there's outrage and that gives them cover to do whatever they want, you know? Exactly. In the meantime, they're fast tracking judges and, and passing uh, EPA policy that is just 180 degrees. I mean, it's ridiculous. I think restrictions on mercury was lifted last week. It was incorrectly. Yes. Yeah. And then, uh, but they're also doing other stuff with about a, like a, uh, okay, words, I can think. Security, right? Like encryption. They're, like they're like passing something where like you can't be encrypted anymore. You have, there's not going to be, it's harder for to be anonymous online. You know, there's like, there, I think they're trying to do something like that, right? Like push something. I haven't seen anything on that one, but, but that's why I might have been distracted by the bullshit they're throwing out there. Distracted by your bullshit and no one's covering it because they're like, oh, well, nobody cares anyway. Everyone, I'm on Facebook anyway, I get tracked no matter what, so they don't care if they lose more privacy. Uh, I don't know, that's like a very general um, assumption and statement that I made, but, and it's not getting reported on. But yeah, it's um, smoke and mirrors, look over here, while there's a bunch of other stuff going on. Yeah, I was too busy reading about Mitt Romney and Donald Trump's fight on Twitter to read that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, it's 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 David Copperfield at you know doing his thing uh, on the nation, and and the funny thing about it is, you know, I've touched on this before, but the the certain individuals on the right who are who claim to be you know good people and righteous and 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 call it Christian faith and whatnot support this guy when he doesn't even come close to being the person that the Christian faith is all about. I mean, he's the guy who hammered the nail through Jesus's hand, you know, and yet these people want to follow him because they feel like he is right on one or two items that they believe in and so those one or two items outweigh the dozens or hundreds of items that he absolutely can destroy individuals, the planet, the economy with his policies. And it's, it just blows my mind, man. It blows my mind. You know, we get called sheep because we, you know, think optimistic and want to be progressive in society and move society forward in maybe a different way than maybe solely capitalistic, right? 
I believe there's a place for being for capitalism, but there's also a balance for supporting fellow human beings and 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 not burdening them with um, anything and everything because you think it's best they pull up their bootstraps and go to work or whatever. Well, you know that doesn't work for everybody. Hardly so, works for anybody. The Protestant work ethic, like not, hard work, will make you be successful. Maybe. Millions and billions of people have been born and, and have died on this planet. And there's very few of them who've actually attained the type of success that percent has achieved. Mm-hmm. You know. I think for me, that's the weirdest part about American libertarianism is if you look at more of the anarchist tradition in other countries, it's about both government and capital and power being bad, you know, both in private and in a government sense. But in America, there's been this very selective skewing and turning slowly in the last 40 years where government is horrible and awful and evil, but Amazon can treat their workers however they want. Any company can do whatever they want and that's fine. And it's not all of us pulling together to buy healthcare it's me paying more taxes so illegal evil immigrants that are going to rape my babies or I'm paying for their health care, you know. It's a very selective hearing that's been put out. Yeah, the, what, what's the percentage of that, you know, actually being a, a weight on the system? Right. It's like the Schrodinger's immigrant, right? You come to steal our jobs, but you're lazy too. Like, <laughs> which one is it? You know, uh, about... I think it was three years ago now. Um, I was, uh, I woke up one morning and was looking at the news at the, the slow moving shit show that we're in right now. And I realized that my emotional attachment and my outrage that I was experiencing was all based on logic that how can this happen? Isn't there things in place? What are you talking about? Why would anybody believe that? And it's this logic based thing. And I said to myself at that moment, I'm like, logic is broken right now. We're dealing with a cult in which logic does not apply. And every time I try to apply my logic, like, Oh, this doesn't make sense. Why are we doing it? You know, like what is going on here? That doesn't make sense. I, the assumption is that we're moving towards something that's logical and we're for the best of everybody. And that's absolutely not true. And I continually have to remind myself that we're dealing with a cult in which logic does not apply. And that saves me hours of spinning out, trying to think about something and assuming that there's a better way to do it. We, 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 I think we, and it's, and I think it's what, that, I, I mean, I hate the term, but the quote unquote left, whatever, if that's a group that we can say, anybody that doesn't support this administration, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the thing that we get distracted by so often because we try to apply logic to what they're doing and they immediately sidestep it because it does not apply. And so it doesn't matter. Um, and I think that a lot more movement can be made if we've actually addressed this more like um, deprogramming cults. Mm. 
rather than trying to fight every single little piece of legislation, yeah, which needs to be done, but we can't get our emotions attached to it needs to be this way, or how can you do that? Of course they did that. This is a cult. The whole point of, of this cult, apparently, is quote-unquote owning the libs. And anything, including sentencing your friends and family to death right now by sending people back to work, that makes perfect sense to them. That And we're, we're all stuck with how can you do that, you know? And that outrage is what keeps us distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that if there is to be a power shift here in November or, you know, whenever the January, whenever that happens is February, um, we really need to split our focus. There's a short of, we're going to have a civil war <laughs> because the cult just doesn't dissolve after the shift of power happens at the top. And so we're going to have 40% of the country, 37%, whatever that magic cult <laughs> membership number is, that simply is going to be all about revolution. And we can't legislate that because it's going to be, it's completely illogical. Um, and so we're going to have to, on a, on a large scale, do some mental deprogramming. Um, and and it's not going to make sense. It doesn't make sense. If, if we try to keep it in this realm of making sense of any of this, we're going to get stuck. I get stuck all the time, and I have to continually remind myself, don't try to make sense of this. It doesn't make sense. Um, this is a death cult. Those are my thoughts on my last three years of life, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting no. that you talk about deprogramming of a cult, because I had never really thought about, you know, the things that I don't agree with politically – um, you know, as being like-minded, like a cult and like how to, how to address that. I've never even approached it from a, like a psychological standpoint in regards to that. I just tried to do what you were suggesting, like try to do it logically. Like, does it doesn't make sense? Or what about this? Logic is broken. It doesn't apply. It doesn't matter what we think. Exactly. Um, and I could go down a rabbit hole about how that's why they want to dismantle the education system too. So there's no critical thinking or, you know, higher reasoning developed within the populace because that's a threat to them. Um, but, um, yeah, a cult. I never even imagined that. Yeah, I think one of the, it, the as far as logic is concerned, it's, it's interesting to see what drives it. So the question that I got, re- that I was remained with is, okay, so in a cult, you have the followers and you have the leaders. And so we, cult mentality is essentially, uh, you know, get the, get the followers to do whatever you want. You know, the, the leader says jump and everybody jumps, right. Or else you're punished. And so that mechanics, that mental mechanics, that psychology makes sense. I get that. Um, We've seen it play out over and over again over the years. You know, it's the exact same thing. The question that I was remained with is okay. Who's the leaders and what that's where some semblance of logic does remain. Why do they need all of these followers to what end, right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, they're like, and, it, you know, it doesn't, um, I, I think the religion thing and the, that's just one element of the cult. They've usurped the religion, the Christianity thing. Um, and we've seen, and we've seen over the last 30 years, the usurp 
usurpation, usurpation, is that a word? Um, of the fundamentalist Christian church into the gathering place of the cult, mm. um, of the political cult. So I set that aside. It, that's part of the, the mechanism. I really think that it's, and I'm not, I would never call myself a socialist. I would never call myself an anarchist because I, I don't even like, because I haven't delved into that. But I think it's literally capitalism from the top down. This political capitalism where it, I think the problem really is the billionaires and those are the leaders of the cult. And then they've, they've taken on all of these operatives at whatever level they exist at in the cult to like, you know, from Fox news down. <laughs> um, it's, it, it, it's about money. I think that that's it about money and power. It's, it's, it's really simple. Um, and I don't think there's really any head of it, but there is just like these, these willing participants in the, in the game. So to loop it back to the USPS though, if it really is about consolidating power and like capitalistic tendencies and they want to get rid of the USPS for that end, what I mentioned before about how there might be like, oh, maybe they have some friends already in place, or maybe we should investigate like how much is US, uh, UPS giving to the Republican Party? How much is FedEx giving to the Republican Party? Like, what do they have to gain in regards to if the US goes away? Like, are they in cahoots or is there something new coming along that's good that, that the Republicans or whoever's in power is going to launch when the USPS fails? Because it's going to be a better system, but really it's going to be like <clears throat> Mar-a-Lago with shitty fucking mold walls and, you know, bad service or whatever. Mm. So it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, one of the greatest barriers, and I know this seems just like a cog in the wheel, but one of the greatest barriers, because this there are a number of states that do vote by mail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge, huge vehicle for fixing a democracy. If that gets adopted... That is almost like this thwarting of the whole like dif disenfranchisement of of the population. Your yeah. your your voting numbers will increase by forty yeah. percent. Yeah, it's you'll it'll go be from mid fifties, you'll go to upper eighties. Yeah, in in no time. I mean, yeah, and that's horrible for the GOP. Overall, yes, I think it is because I I do believe that there are more people who would who would think more common sense, vote common sense, if they were able to make it to the polls. That's why we don't have, that's why I feel like we don't have a national voting holiday. Mm. I mean, that's, <laughs> we celebrate workers, we celebrate veterans, you know, we celebrate anybody, you know, who has done anything for this country, but yet the one most important day, you know, is election day, and we don't have a a federal holiday for that. Yeah. The thing that, that builds the, the, the entire democracy. Exactly. Itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a whole different viewpoint on voting. I think mail-in voting is great. It should be, you know, a thing like everywhere, but I also think, and this is totally a topic for a whole nother episode because one, I don't know much about it. And two, uh, we could probably go down a deep rabbit hole, but I've always been interested in the idea of, um, uh, you know, blockchain voting, you know, like a, a Bitcoin type of authenticity verification of a vote to, to do a democratic process. 
and I don't, like I said, I don't know much about it. I'm rudimentally familiar with Bitcoin and how it works with verification in the blockchain. Um, but it just seems that if there's a process like that in place, it could maybe be easily assimilated to voting. But like I said, that's, we should not go down that rabbit hole because I don't know much about it. It's just a random thought. Sterling, jump on in here, buddy. Maybe not. Is he on mute? No, it's, I don't think he's on mute. I think maybe. Uh... Oh, nope. Sorry, you guys froze out. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I agree with you guys 100%. I mean, um, just a little bit of what Corey said there about the programming. I live in probably one of the, what would you say, Carl, five most conservative states in the country, easy? Top five? Oh, definitely top five. Yeah. Top three? Top, top one? Yeah, yeah you're... <laughs> and I mean, for me, number. it starts... And I mean, we could go over this with the bailout. We could go over this with the UPS, USPS. We could go over this with bail by voting. Um, the comment I was brought to with... The comment that was brought to me by a coworker the other day was, did you see Nancy Pelosi was only going to bail us out if she could vote by mail so that Democrats win? Well, it's, you know, part of that's in case, you know, we're still on lockdown in November, you want to be able to have your elections. And then on top of that, it was thrown in, well, then you're just going to have illegals voting. Well, no, there'll be a verification process. Well, anyways, it's just the Democrats trying, you know, there's no, it's all this idea of we never get to the actual issue. It's even if Trump's bad, and I was talking to Carl about this yesterday, the Democrats are signing a bill in Washington right now that so they teach kids pedophilia. It's if we can stretch this taffy as far as we can, you know, what was the actual bill, Carl? Schools have to teach sexual education, do whatever you want with it by district. Yeah, basically, uh, Washington states, for example, you know, they, they teach a semblance of this anyway, but now they're, they're, they're actually putting in a curriculum K through 12 curriculum of, of, of um, call it uh, sexual education courses or whatever, but it's more on each level progressively as far as, you know, teaching your kindergartners, you know, what's proper and what's improper and, and, and just advancing it up through, up through the current, you know, yeah. teaching that it has. It's, yeah. it's, it's not like they're going to take 12th grade uh, curriculum and apply it to kindergartners. Okay. Well, here's, I mean, here's what that, that's was, what they think, right? Yeah. Well, here's what that was stretched to in Idaho. And I mean, I have me and then my dozen coworkers. Right. And all 11 of them are telling each other in this little echo chamber about how they're going to teach five year olds how to use sex toys. Yeah. I mean, and if you deny it at all, well, I have here's a note that someone posted on Facebook, like a little PowerPoint slide that was shared by my aunt's sister. So it's true. Yeah. And you can show me as many articles as you want. You can show me the actual bill. I'm not going to read it. Um, we could have that whole other conversation. Um, about I know what's in bills I haven't read. Um, but if Democrats like abortion, and if we can keep stretching this taffy as far as we want, then we're just going to keep voting Republican over and over, right? That's how Reagan swung the election in 1980. He said, I'm a strong Christian anti-abortion person. And all of a sudden, all the cr Christian vote went from Carter to Reagan like that, right? 
they just found that note and it's just hitting it over and over and over. It's illegal immigrants. It's pedophiles. It's everything that you can think of that's absolutely evil and disgusting as Democrats. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's not my opinion, but that's just the line that's towed out here at least in very conservative And that's the logic that is going to have to be deprogrammed if we're ever going to get out of this morass, sticky, yeah. taffy, you know, bowl of... It, because it, that stuff continually recycles and draws people back in. And we're, we're essentially... It's, it's, a, it's a psychological addiction to the rush of making somebody wrong. No. Uh, you get that? Like, we're, we're totally addicted to yep. this way of being that continually makes it binary bad guy good guy and here's why and there's there's this um social element of the validation in there because you can go have a an hour long conversation with your buddy about or your mom or your dad or anybody about how evil so and so is and there's a total in um chemical psychological component that you get a rush out of and that's simply what it boils down to and that's why logic doesn't apply because that exists at a such lower level uh, in in humanity in the way our physiology works than it than any logic it's 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 logic is subservient to that addiction are you saying that we're nothing but meeting making machines we're we're meat sacks with friends we try to make meaning out of everything this yeah. means we want to teach five-year-olds to use a dildo. Okay, hold on, time out for a second. Can you imagine how much better society would be if we all had a better, wider, open understanding of pleasure and not pleasure and sex? Like, it's just going to expand horizons. I mean, you know, like, it's not going to be like, oh, they're all going to turn out to be, you know, want to have a gender change. And who cares if they want to have a gender change? Great. That's what they want to do. You know, like, they're trying to limit our liberties, and it's disgusting. And we should just repress everything and then die. And that's how we should do it. Right. Don't let people do because you think it's it's disgusting or wrong or against God's plan. Or you guys are using logic again. <laughs> I know. You're right. We are. You're absolutely right. We are. But that, and, and that's, that's the thing. When we go into that's these, like, uh, in Sterling, right? Sterling, you know this, right? You go into the, I'm going to call it the den, okay, of, of, of um, non-logic users, okay, and you apply your logical thinking to this, thinking, okay, I'm making sense, you know, and yet they can't catch on, right? They simply fall back to, oh, well, no, Trump says this because my bishop says I should vote for Trump, or whatever it is, right? Whatever leads them to believe that, that, whatever they believe is is the right way, even though it does not make any lick of sense whatsoever. Well, I mean, most people don't want to have a, you know, an hour or 30 minute conversation or listen to a podcast or read a book about anything. They like the Facebook posts that my wife's shown me is, you know, Obama called us deplorables. Osama called us infidel. Trump calls us American. And right there, that's it. That's all we need. All right. Yeah. Democrat, <laughs> stupid, poo poo, bad terrorists. Endorphin rush right there. Trump loves me, America, you know, got my my American flag boner rocking hard. Because Facebook is such a legit source for, you know, well-vetted information. 
are you telling me I can't use infowarrior.com as my source? Because I just lost all my notes. <laughs> I mean, you Freedom can use warrior.facebook. You can totally use what you want, but you might lose my respect. <laughs> <laughs> there goes all my notes on Alex Jones coronavirus toothpaste. It's gone. 5G. 5G. Yeah, I see your I see your own uh, no video this week. Next week you'll be on no audio too. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's good stuff. Good stuff. So actually, we probably killed. We probably killed this. Uh, this rabbit hole. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Just so, ask, how's about that post office? I was going to ask about a. Uh, uh, are you guys ready for a hard pivot? Terrible transition. Let's pivot. Terrible transition. Hard pivot. I know everybody, all your listeners, like it's a pretty deep, energized, charged topic. But, um, you know, I was curious while we were talking about all this, like, you know, like what, what is your guys' favorite car of all time? That's because you were speaking about those billionaires and you're thinking, damn, man, I'd like to have that car. Oh, oh I yeah. had the money. But, and so, Carl, what is that for you? Is it like the 91 Fiat? Yeah, no. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, I got – I was watching uh, – I guess I, I'm not really a car guy for the most part. I mean, I like driving them, um, but at the same time, you living know, I them? think, what's that? Instead of living in them, like, well, yeah, well, you, you know, I mean, you can live in them too. Them. I'm sure they're comfortable, you know, I mean, lots of people do it and, and they seem to enjoy it. So, you know, um, life is simplistic, right? So, um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I I guess I need to do more histories if I really want to answer this question correctly. I can tell you right now the car that I want is is you know electric vehicle. I, I know batteries, there's the whole argument about the batteries and and whatnot, but in my mind overall, you know, I still feel you know, going electric and away from fossil fuels is, is still the way to go. Tackle the battery issue down the road a little bit, which technology as it gets better, I think that will that What's will it? help it. But which electric vehicle do you want? The Tesla. Of course. The Tesla. The, the SUV or the regular sedan? I like the sedan. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but I I got on this kick of uh, of the of the old school uh, GT40 mm-hmm. Ford GT40. It won the um, uh, 24 hour Le Mans four years in a row back in the 19 late 1960s. So I watched that Ford versus Ferrari and I just was like, Oh man, let me learn more about this car and about the people. And, you know, and so, you know, it's documentary, it's, it's, you know, looking up the history on, you know, the actual history, not the movie history, but you know, that's a preemptive to the real history of it. And it's just so interesting as far as, as the people that came together to put this together and what, how quickly they did it too to 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 uh, top Ferrari as quickly as they did, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, anyway, yeah, the GT40 uh, uh, is is probably my right now is on top of my list. That's a sweet little ride. You know, I didn't. I was thinking about this last night because you and I were talking last night, Carl, about the, the what our favorite cars are, and um, you yeah. know, I've I've gone all over the place over the course of my life like which car do i want what's like the pinnacle for a while it was the uh, lamborghini suv i thought oh my god that'd be such a, a rad car to have and um 
More recently, though, uh, being unemployed and uh, not really going anywhere, I've been watching a lot of car videos. And um, one of the cars that I came across, there's this company in California. They're called uh, Mag Motors, M-A-G Motors. And what they do is they take a modern day Mustang GT500. So, you know, analog brakes, airbags, cameras, six different track modes, whatever. And they put a 67 Shelby fastback body on that GT500. So you basically have the best of both worlds. You have a brand new frame, brand new safety components, brand new 700 horsepower engine, and it looks like a pitch in 57 uh, Eleanor, basically. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah. and I was like, oh my god, that that would be awesome. But you know, Carl, you, you know me. We've known each other for a while, and you know how before I've been very <clears throat> vehemently opposed to electric vehicles because of the whole battery situation in waste and how much it costs to actually uh, environmentally cost then you know to mine the materials, the rare earth metals to make these batteries, and which is um, that makes me a proponent of asteroid mining. But um, and I've been opposed against them. But shocking, this is probably going to shock you. My number one go-to car right now, if I could get any car. Um, would be the uh, Kona Sig Jamera. And the Kona Sig Jamera is a hybrid, so it has a battery and a motor. And um, it's ridiculous. You got to look it up. It's got Kona Sig? Kona Sig Jamera, G E M E R A. Uh, it has. Yeah, they're like a supercar manufacturer, essentially, right? That's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, it, they make ridiculous race cars, and this particular car is a sedan, four-seater, hybrid, and it has a regular motor, but the regular motor that it has is ridiculous. It's called the Tiny Friendly Giant, twin-turbo, three-valve, three-cylinder engine. This little tiny twin-turbo, three-cylinder engine makes 600 horsepower. What? Damn. And it has electric motors to boot. So it has ridiculous amount of horsepower. I, I don't, I'm not looking at it right now, um, but it's, oh no, here it is right here. I was going to say, this doesn't look like a sedan though, bro. This looks what, like a sports car. But if you look at it, there, oh. isn't there four seats in there? I thought this was. There's four seats in there, but it's got like a two door yeah. fly, you know. Yeah. 1400 horsepower, 1400 horsepower with the total range of a thousand kilometers. And so uh, I'm a I'm a convert. I want I want a I want an electric vehicle. I want that electric vehicle, um, the hybrid. And um, damn, dude, that's a huge shift for you. It's a huge shift for me. You know that I've hated that. Yeah, you railed against electric cars for a long time. Since I've seen the first Tesla, I saw the first Tesla at Cascadia College when they brought it to campus, and it was batteries inside of a Lotus. <laughs> I've driven one of those. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> scary like fast. Fast, yeah. See. <laughs> my my um, uncle in law, is that even a thing? He still has one. He has one of the originals, one of the first thousand. He put his money down in the beginning and uh he he actually it was really cool. I drove in it about a year and a half ago and he's driven that thing to the ground. Like the like 
the steering wheels you know like an old car has like holes in the steering wheel and oh, yeah, the seats yeah, yeah, yeah. and like the you know everything is used he it was his daily driver for years mm. and that was it was really great to see and he's like yeah it still probably has a, like 75 percent of the um battery left and that was a tesla yeah it was the original the what do they original. call it roaster yeah yeah, yeah. where they basically just took a uh, a lotus a yeah. lotus body and filled yeah. it with batteries and stuff yeah and old school battery tech too. It wasn't even lithium stuff. It was like, and it still has seventy five percent of its battery. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, and he's a yeah, driver too. Yeah, his daily driver. It, wow. Um, yeah, it's impressive. You know, like and the, and those those uh, Teslas just have issues, but um, you know, especially those first ones. Like it's probably been into the shop. He said like thirty times. <laughs> but he loves it. Oh yeah, no, I mean like. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's amazing, you know. Like you get a supercar, and right, and it's silent. It's that's the that was the weirdest part. It's just like the G force with no sound, that, yeah. which was a revelation. Like, uh, what year was that when those came out? Um, oh my gosh, uh, uh, two thousand eight, two thousand ten. Yeah, it was like right when the crafts happened. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I I got to drive in it. You know, the first couple of months that he got it. So that was a total revelation. Then, um, yeah, you know, like nobody had ever driven something like that and so that was really cool to 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 go drive that but um you know now it's a lot more common but um yeah that was a lot of fun and it was great to see it a year ago to see it it just kind of basically trashed like no resale value here's my daily my beater (laughs) (laughs) you know it can go zero to 60 and um you know (laughs) uncountable seconds but um yeah um i have i have something for you joshua what if we had a twofold increase in battery longevity and because right now standard lithium iron is nasty right and it's dangerous and we have to put a lot of circuitry in to make sure that we don't blow up and blowing up is not usually a good thing uh, what if we were to solve that with a chemistry that is solvable and with a much friendlier, um, much friendlier, something like LifePo4 or something like that, but instead of instead of having less uh, power density, had twice as much. What what would be your line? I guess is what I'm asking. I'm all in. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I definitely like things. So that- it's not about oh, electric isn't manly, that type of thing. No, my only my only um, beef with it ever since this whole phenomenon started. I mean, maybe not since that because like there was an electric car a long time ago. They got killed and whatever. And now mm-hmm. they're back in vogue. But my concern has always been what is so if it takes if it makes like a hundred thousand pounds of CO two to mine the material out of the earth to make a car. And this is a very old statistic that I'm calling from my memory when I went to college back in 2009. Um, it was something like, you know, you had to drive, at least at that time, it was calculated that you had to drive a hybrid vehicle at least 90 to 100,000 miles before you offset the carbon that went into the creation of the car. And that wasn't even lithium ion. Right. That was, um, what, what are those, um, not NICAP, but the... The other type of uh, oxide or yeah i'm sorry i'm i'm a battery guy and i can't even think of this um 
Yeah, that was that was like what we put in the um, the PSs in the beginning, and yeah. um, that like they, Ca they don't, cadmium? cadmium. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That was that very early. That's 1980s. Oh. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that stat that you just quoted was. That's only been my my only concern. Like, yeah. what's the environmental impact of the creation of the item? If you can lower that, and I still get whatever, like a thousand miles to drive this electric car, and I can plug it in at night. Awesome, love it. But what is the environment? Like, my whole argument about that is like, nothing new is going to save the world. Like, you so, can mine everything out of the world to make this cool thing that's going to really increase everything. But what was it's like ethanol? Like ethanol. Talk to me about the petroleum industry then. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Really, you must have some beef. Well, that's what I'm saying because <laughs> what does it take to mine? What does it take to mine the materials and make the cars now? Right. That, that okay, you got that front end, and then on the back end, you're burning fossil fuels. So I can't imagine, especially with fracking and stuff like that stuff is terrible. Like you know, all of that oil is basically shit. But there's you know all of the like, the, you're right. You're right. It's like, you know, like just because there's an infrastructure already in place to pull that oil cheaply out of the Middle East, um, what were the impacts of that? And has it been, you know, has it been caught up yet? You know, have you driven it for enough miles to offset the damage that it's done? I don't know. It's a good question. Like, I, you know, so I'm an urban planner. That's what I went to school for. And when I applied to go to the urban planning school, you had to read an essay to get in, and my essay about urban planning was like Henry Ford was the devil, um, not because he um, used his lines to make war machines that had us, you know, defeat an evil in the world, but it was about, oh, making cheap cars so everybody could have the suburbs, and like creating that whole dependency on those things. Um, and that was my argument, right? So I've well, always had used to be close knit, and everyone, everyone was in the. There was very few rural, you know, other than the farmers that lived in the rural. You know, everybody mm -hmm. else was in the cities, and mm -hmm. was, you know, that was their transportation was their feet, right? Maybe they had a horse or whatever, but buggy and carriage, that was it, right? There was a corner store you could go to, and, right? So everyone kind of stayed in with a probably, you know, quarter mile radius of wherever they lived, more than mm -hmm. likely, right? Why you have all the boroughs in New York, right? I mean, everyone, you know, so that's a good, uh, I can see where that one little, that one, the assembly line, basically, basically could have uh, been the start of urban sprawl as we know it today. Well, that and the whole Eisenhower Act when, you know, the like interstates. Old, interstates, when he was like, we need to build these because uh, we need to be able to evacuate cities because of a nuclear accident. I can't even get to work, you know, within 40 minutes, and I don't even live 10 miles from. Well, me. now, <laughs> a nuclear act, you know, <laughs> oh, there's a bomb coming in. I just whatever. I just go in my bedroom and jack off until it does happen, right? Because there's no way I'm getting out of town. Right, right. Sterling, where you at, bud? Get in here, man. You gotta, you gotta fight for time, buddy. So. Question, Josh. Do you think public transportation, being a city planner, is public transportation a part of what could fix that for you then? Or absolutely. Like more public transportation, high speed rail, that kind of deal? Absolutely. Rapid bus lines, bus only lanes, uh, light rail everywhere for everybody. Um, and then a change in the code structure of cities such that I don't know where you guys live, like how it is, but you know, like I don't, there's a couple of barbershops that I can walk to. 
there's a grocery store that's about half an hour walk away. It's pretty far, you know, especially if you've got to get groceries for a week, right? It's not like I can, you know, like there's not a lot of walkable corner store amenities in my neighborhood. It's a rural neighborhood, um, most residential. The businesses are not services, if you will. Um, and I think changing the code, I don't know what the code is currently, so I can't say if it needs to be relaxed to allow those types of things to be implemented into the community or if there's just not a um, carrot to have those things be created in the community, I'm not sure what the lacking is, but I would much rather have services be local. And like if I had to go somewhere, have a, the ability to get there with mass transit, buses, with trains. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're gonna ask about rideshare technology, I think it's a you know uh, cool thing. I wish I would have invented Uber. And I don't think it solves any traffic congestion problems because you still have, you know, cars on the road with only two people in it. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the uh, Elon Musk underground tunnel for cars idea? Do you think that actually will alleviate anything or is that just cashing in? I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what that is. I, know I don't even think he's doing it anymore. Didn't is he, he not doing it anymore? I, I thought he got the contract. I think he... Uh... He abandoned the big plan that he was wanting to do under LA and now is only doing a real kind of short hyperloop to, you know, I think before he wanted one going from his house LA, and his office. From, <laughs> I think he wanted to go from LA to San Francisco or something like that. Um, and um, I think it was like his, 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 it was just a big, huge, upgrade of his uh of his um fire uh Andor? yeah yeah his it's flamethrower idea yeah. Yeah. he made this just for the heck of it and <laughs> eh, look what good. i made boom and he sold like a thousand of them and then he's like okay i'm done i think that's i feel like that's kind of one of these things of hey let's let's do this and they did like a mile of it i don't know i'd have to double check but i'm pretty sure that that he, the, the whole hyperloop car you know, where you come down on a platform and the platform's maglevved, you know, to wherever you go and then you pull off and it lifts you up to the main street. I think that's pretty much been abandoned. I think the, the only problem with Elon Musk is that he's, <clears throat> he's, a, he's a billionaire who probably go gets jacked up on mushrooms one night and then has a great idea. And he's like, oh yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, you know, next thing you know, this whole thing is is like in motion. And then you know, two years later, it's like, oh, what, the, what the hell was I doing? You know. <laughs> so, go back to the well. Go back to the well. Just do some more rooms. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's what it reminds me of. It's like he's got. Yeah, okay, that's a, a crazy idea, and it, it's going to take somebody crazy to to. I mean, I don't call it crazy. It's going to take a bold action to make that happen. But is it the thing that we really should do? Do we really need a better flamethrower? Is that Not really, really? No. No. And and uh, underground tunnels. Okay, that's great. You know, I, I could make an argument. But is that? What if we were to electrify airplanes? Uh -huh. mm. That seems a way more plausible. We have the infrastructure already there. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, and they're already playing around with that kind of stuff. So um, that well, seems more plausible than mankind hasn't been able to figure out how to dig, you know, um, in that scale. 
like how long did it take this dig uh, to do here in Washington under Puget Sound? How way, many delays was that? Way too long. They didn't yeah. really scope it very well because they ran into so many issues yeah. with the muck they were going through. And, then, and that's going to happen everywhere. It's not yeah. like he's got magic. He doesn't have a giant laser that's blasting through everything. And that's the insane. next project. Yeah, right. <laughs> laser cars. That's his LSD trip. No, yeah. laser, laser carving, right? Laser cars. What was that show? I'm going to date myself. There was a car, or there was a show back in the day where some guy was a computer simulation in the real world, and he had his little friend that was a cursor, and the cursor could make different objects for him. Sean. No, 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 no. This was the paperclip that helps you in Microsoft Office. This is a television show. <laughs> And um, it was, do you know, you know, <laughs> Clippy, Waltons? you know, the actor from the Waltons that played John Boy? Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was the main actor in the show and he had uh, Richard Thomas. Richard and he, Thomas, yeah. And he had, he had a, um, a cursor. It was a, he was a program. He had a cursor. The cursor could make whatever he wanted in the car that he would made. But it was like, Carl, you might enjoy this actually if you, if you don't know this already. Um, but the car itself, because it was such a rudimentary program, um, when he was in the car driving in the real world, it could only make 90 degree turns. Oh, no, no, dude. That's not Richard Thomas. So, so then he would go that's not, that's and like, he would have a person in the car with him and they would go down the street and it would turn. And the person who was not the computer program like he was would just slam against the window because the car would be like, bam, bam, 90 degrees. That, that wasn't Richard Thomas, dude. What um, was it? That was a uh, something man. Um, oh god, I just looked it up too. That's like one of those bad dreams you can't get out of, where your car only drives to the right. Oh, god. <laughs> so, so it's kind of it, it. It was kind of it was like the. Uh, the sci-fi version of Manimal. Do you guys remember Manimal? It was like the precursor to The Matrix. Oh, God. Auto Man. Auto Man. That's what it was. And Auto Man was not uh, Richard uh, Thomas. It wasn't? Oh, God. I thought it was. No. Auto Man was... Um... Yeah, dude. This was a cool... This is, this what is, is it? Desi Arnaz Jr.? Uh, no. Chuck, uh, Wag Chuck Wagner. Chuck Wagner. Chuck Wagner. Chuck Wagner. Yeah, so this, yeah, so Carl, thank you for correcting me. I, uh, for whatever reason, I thought it was that John Boy uh, actor, but it's not. But, like, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you guys, do you remember yeah, that show dude, at all? I love that freaking, I love that show. <laughs> so crazy. I don't even, yeah. No idea what you're talking about, and we're the same age. It's, uh, it's, um, yeah, I, well, that's, that's cool. You know, when I went to the World of Wheels when I was young, I sat in Knight Rider. Like one of the real stunt cars or whatever? It was probably just a World on Wheels promotional vehicle with a mock-up of the screens and stuff inside. I don't know, but I have a Polaroid picture of me, actually. Nice. That's actually <laughs> pretty cool. Sitting in, it had the butterfly steering wheel, right? You know? Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, this is, we're, we're getting a little left, left field now, but. And actually, to, to finish this this thread, I have no idea what my favorite car would be. Um, my dad was a car guy, and you know, had a series of Mustangs throughout my childhood. You know, so I always had a good car to to sneak out when they were out of town. But um, 
at, I've driven a string of station wagons my entire life. My first car was a Pinto station wagon. And then I got some weird Chevy, they made it for two years station wagon. And I've had uh, an Escort station wagon. And I've had two Subaru station wagons. And in there, within there, I had a couple of uh, Toyota little pickups. But I always drive like this utility cars. Um, and uh, I don't have fantasies about big, fast cars. But, my, you know, my wife, you and I have taken a trip, uh, Joshua, in my wife's car. And that's a lot of fun. I didn't, I didn't realize how much fun fast cars were until I got that. But the Barbie Dream Car? Yeah, the Barbie <laughs> like Dream Car. You've been in a horse and buggy the whole time. And yeah. you, get, you, you get the Model T and you're like, oh, hey. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, well, going from my like 150 horsepower Subaru wagon to her 500 horsepower BMW M series is like, it's really, this? It's really fast. This? It's, it's <laughs> very nice. It's very nice. Yeah. I have a. Really, where you at, buddy? I have an 06 wagon, uh, Super Rowback wagon as well. And um, we have matchy matchies. We have matchy matchies. And I'm, uh, I've been contemplating getting a turbo and installing it to boost it from 156 to 250. I've always fantasized about the whole WRX conversion because they're essentially the same engine, right? With a, yep. just a bunch of aftermarket you know, tuning on it, right? Yeah. Hmm. That'd be a fun project to do. I have a friend who has one of those, and that is fun to drive in. That what a, a SWRX STI? Yes, yeah, he has an STI, and it is fun. What year? Oh, God, I don't know. I want to. This is just a guess. I want to say two thousand six. Oh, is that? <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah, the year it is, but yeah, that's a fun car. A lot of tickets he's gotten in that car, but. <laughs> Uh, I saw one, uh, a black one. I must have been around that sometime, maybe shortly after. I was in Fremont, actually, and this black WRX STI was pulling out into traffic, and it had seen, it didn't see this car that was coming down the road, and so he had to really get on the throttle to, like, merge properly, and uh, it was awesome to see. It was like, and I was like, oh, my God, I have to change my pants. That's old school thinking, though. We're all thinking this is all old school thinking, right? That's why you just, you, you don't want that brat, brat. You just want the whoosh. Yeah, what if we um, converted our station wagons to uh, electric, Joshua? Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, like, the thing about electric motors that is, is so uh, great or enticing is the constant, is it like constant torque? Is that instant power. Instant, instant power. Like there's Instant. no torque curve. It's like, bam, yeah. you're here. Yeah. It's like, whoop. It's like whether you're going 60 miles an hour or six. Right. It's like there. you need 800 pounds, foot pounds of torque. Go. <laughs> yeah. There's no there's no ramp or up or nothing. No power curve. Yeah. All right, Sterling. What's your car, buddy? What's Ford what Pinto. Ford Pinto. Is that Wait, that's what you want? That's it. That was mine. That's oh, was it I, really? That was my first car. Yeah. Oh, I, was I had the wood paneling. That part. Oh, now I'm yeah. a stealer. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not the one I picked. Oh, believe me, I've driven it. I don't want to know. No, like, but... you know what happened? You know what happened, you guys? Like, like Sterling's internet connection failed or something. Yeah, so he missed that whole conversation. Yeah, he missed that whole conversation. But he had asked to join the mini again, and because I wasn't paying attention, I didn't see it. So I just clicked it not that long ago to 
to let them back in. So Sterling, I apologize about that. Um, I'm going to figure out how to make sure I think that. You, I, don't, I think you can just make it to where people can pop in, but the problem is then if anybody can come in and, well, right? I mean, well, that's the whole Zoom bombing thing that people have been having. I guess so, but I don't know. Oh, that I'll, could be fun. I'll pay attention. <laughs> Should we have an episode where we just Zoom bomb people? We just go and Zoom bomb. Hey, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? You guys talking about school? Guess what? Fuck off. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Good so stuff. the Ford Pinto, the 74 Ford Pinto, isn't that a death yes. trap? Isn't like if it gets rear-ended, it explodes almost? Yeah, there was essentially, I think it was like a 13 or $15 part that was supposed to be sitting behind or in front of the gas tank. And the cost they estimated of installing that part was cheaper or was more expensive than the cost of the lawsuits they'd get. Mm. Oh, so they just Lord. manufactured this car instead without putting that part in is essentially what I heard about it. So there's a pretty hilarious Milton Friedman clip on it. but That's like some Fight Club shit. Yeah. When he talks about he works for a major automo- automotive company. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that, yeah. That if the cost of recall is cheaper than... Or if the if the lawsuits are cheaper than the cost of a recall, they just don't do a recall. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'm super jealous of Corey because I never got to have my Pinto. Wow, uh, I, I, I can fill you, you in. Um, <laughs> I envy you, sir. You're not uh, missing a whole lot according to what Corey's saying. <laughs> <laughs> I have never driven a more gutless car. I mean, so so let's see. It was believe it or not, it was like um, so. It was like 15 years old when I when I first drove it, and my dad got it probably in the mid 80s. It was a yeah, 73, 74 model, and um, so essentially it was older than I. It's older than I am, and so you know as far as like cars go these days, uh, that wasn't that old when we got it. Um, my car that I have now is older, but uh, it was so gutless that it was almost dangerous it worse it was like like driving a bug it was like that kind of power uh, a really out of tune vw bug um <clears throat> nothing worked right i mean it was really believe it or not it was reliable i never really had to do much but it would go through brakes because they just I, I think they just were not um even aligned correctly mm. so you would you would wear down the brakes they would be always wobbly um I don't know why anybody would want to drive it aside from the whole blowing up issue. It's, it was like, it was the worst car. Uh, yeah, Sterling, you probably don't want to get that car. Though. Yeah. I, I, unless you're doing some crazy mod to it where, you know, it, it actually is like glorifying it, you know, and fixing the, the explosion back. part. Yeah. You know, fix the explosion part, electric engine motor. That, we're going to, we're going to fix it up. It just felt heavy. Um, like it was all, it was a steel car. I don't think there was a piece of fiberglass on it. Um, you'd really want to put some some power behind it but how cool would that be yeah let's let's turn one of those into electric um you still find them all wheel drive electric oh nice so corey you you sound like you rattled off a bunch of cars there you've probably had what 10 maybe maybe i'm just that old i don't know yeah so uh, a lot of first cars well the other day i don't know josh if you saw this when i posted it or not and Sterling, I know you're not on Facebook, um, but 
a friend of mine posted, you know, he, he decided uh, he's inspired by something. And he Googled all of his cars that he had, the year, make, model, and he put it in the chronological order on his Facebook page. And he had like, gosh, I don't know, 13, 14, something like that. I'm like, oh, you know what? I want to do that. And so <laughs> I, I did, I, it took me about five minutes because I've owned four cars in my entire life. So, and the first car I owned, I had for about three years. It was my high school vehicle. It was a 1986 Chevrolet Cavalier, uh, beat up, spray painted black, you know, bra, quote unquote, bra. Uh, did you spray paint it? Yes, I did spray paint. Nice. I did that. Rust spots everywhere, and so I, I, you know, cr you know, primed them out. You know, sanded them down, primed them out. Then I got the brand new 1996 Dodge Neon. No, no I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, 96 Dodge Neon. When I got back, back from Korea, the Josh car, remembers that car. The, the car that was made to be recycled. It was literally you could take it apart to recycle it. Great idea. Great idea. And the Dodge SRT is actually one of the uh, great car budgetary-wise for power. Right. I didn't have the SRT, but hey, you know what? It was a nice little car. I did have a spoiler on the back because that's mm -hmm. what made it cool. I couldn't find I it was white. images right? with a spoiler. I couldn't find one with a spoiler at all. So I was like the only one that had a spoiler on their 1996 Dodge Neon. The car that said hi in the commercials, if you guys remember, it would like zoom up down the hill and come stop and then just say hi on the lettering above the car. And then uh, Saturn View and then my current car, uh, which is a Chevrolet Cruze and currently going on year seven for that bad boy. So on average, technically three cars in the last 24 years. So, uh, and the model of efficiency. Yeah, right? So when we talk about long-term vehicles, right, I threw that up there and was like, man, you don't have a whole lot of variety. I was like, yeah, I use them, you use them, and then I, I get a new one. So. So I justify buying new cars, but yeah, four, four cars total in my lifetime. Little caveat. Mm -hmm. I think yeah, I, I probably I'm probably at at maybe eight or nine, and I I do the same thing. And like when it when the repair costs more than the vehicle and it's not worth it. Yeah. Or I'm like I don't want to fix that. You know yep. I don't want to. Yeah, that's when I go buy a new car. And you know when the head gasket blows in my uh, Ford Escort. Oh, okay, it's time for a new car. Yeah. <laughs> not worth it. No, that's how I ended up with my my Subaru wagon. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm proud of the fact that I've only owned four cars in my lifetime. So that's awesome. <clears throat> I figure by the time then, when I'm 55, 60, I can get that. My all-time favorite used to be the Corvette. Um, long time ago. Dude, so, the modern Corvette is so affordable and such a such a stud in terms they of did. they've done a lot to make them a lot more affordable it's crazy i'm like oh my gosh i've been a ford guy ever since my uncle brainwashed me into being a ford guy um but the modern the this year's corvette is like a monster for the dollar are you kidding me yeah yeah it's yeah i mean it's in the supercar class of right. what they're what they're doing it's not it's no joke you know mm -hmm. and under what is it 70 60 60. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 60. Yep. That your next so, car, Carl? Uh, no, Tesla. And then oh, and then they'll electrify the Corvette and then it'll be the Corvette. 
<laughs> it's a retirement car. That's the retirement car. Two, I got to, I was at Home Depot the other day, speaking of cars, and you know, Home Depot's they're they're doing the whole social distancing thing, which is very responsible. There are only so many people going into the store and as people come out. So, but I was sitting there walking up, and I look to my left, and there's this gorgeous white Corvette, right? And I'm thinking, oh man, that's a nice looking car. It's parked in a handicap zone. I'm thinking, oh, what the hell? You know, and and so then I see there's two, two people walking around and they had to be 75 years old at least, right? And this guy is really tall. He's probably, you know, 6'2 or something like that, 75, 80 year old guy. And then his wife is with him and she's kind of shorter and she is having the dangest time getting into this Corvette, dude. I mean, trying to bend down and, and, and he's just standing there kind of, you know, trying to help her along and, and, and she just is having the most difficult time. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, Corvette in a Home Depot, right? Driven by 80 year old people who can't even hardly get into it. Capitalism at its finest, baby. That's what I think. It's a bad situation. <laughs> How do they still have their license? I mean, I good for know, them, man. though, but... It was, it was, hey, it was, yeah, no, but it was, it's just, you, you, you drive your Corvette to go to Home Depot, you know, to get... What, do they get, like, two screws? What do you, yeah, that's what I'm saying. What are you getting at Home Depot that you're, like, you drive your Corvette to and you're not worried about, you know, throwing down the seats to, to get the two-by-four in, you know? Because that's what I do, right? So I got to drive my car oh, and my throw the seats down. I don't have a truck. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, yeah if it can't fit in my car then i guess i just don't get that thing right right they must have stopped and got a soda or something maybe all right josh we're up to up to 10 40. yeah so you were uh, worried about not having anything to talk about you guys want to you guys want to wrap it up i know carl a couple weeks ago two weeks ago or let me rephrase that two episodes ago Nice. We introduced uh, uh, what are you reading? A a literature component. We did. Podcast to maybe perchance to increase the level of rhetoric. And do you want to close out on that? Like what we're reading? Of course. Yeah. But also what we're watching, whatever you want to do. Oh, you can go either way. Yeah, you can go either way. You pick. You pick. Uh, Well, I'll, 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 I, can do both, I guess, because uh, I haven't really got too far. You know, I'm reading like U.S. Constitutions and famous U.S. Constitution and famous writings, and uh, I'm on letter of 16. There is I'm on letter 10 of the Silence Do Good letters, mm. which, uh, uh, if anyone doesn't know, was the um, pseudonym of of uh, Benjamin Franklin, who also was the first general postmaster. Wrapping it up. Look at that, how that ties into our whole little. That was good. That was awesome. Um, I'm going to give you an A for this episode. And uh, and so um, anyway, he was he was writing to his uh, brother's newspaper at the age of 16. I'm reading these letters, and it's amazing how cerebral that guy was at 16. I mean, these has these are letters that happened 30 years before. The U.S. Constitution was even thought about, you know, Declaration of Independence, all that stuff. And he is, he is thinking of all those things when you're reading those the Silence Do Good letters. 
he is bringing up just point after point of what was put into that constitution. And by the way, his pseudonym they posted, he was a widowed female. Right. Who had married, uh, whose, whose husband was a priest who decided, that's how he posed when he wrote these letters. He described himself to these letters so that it, 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 it was it was genius what he did to kind of to kind of in a way help kind of women's rights as far as hey we're smart too type deal I guess you could kind of say try to do that in a certain way but but people were reading them and then anyway I'm on letter ten I highly suggest them they're really good um, if I had more time I'd probably be done with them by now um, but the one thing that throws me off with them is every noun, not proper nouns, every noun is capitalized and it really throws me off because mm. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm always thinking something significant about this word. No, nope, it's just dog, right? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just capitalized because that's how he did it back then. So, so that's uh, your book. What's your show? What am I watching? Jeez, all sorts of stuff, really. I just got done watching the Lethal Weapon series. You know, got done watching that. And then... Uh, Gosh, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched a whole lot of TV. I finished the Patty Smith book, Just Kids. And uh, <clears throat> I have to say, it was a magnificent book. Uh, well written. Um, a great book to look into late 60s, early 70s culture, art culture in New York City with music and poetry and Andy Warhol and and really well written too like not just like here's a bunch of facts but like her prose and her cadence and her choice of words that she used to write this book super efficient in regards to creating a sense of a relationship um to because like, you know i'm not patty smith i i didn't grow up i wasn't in new york in that time and there was a lot of times when i was reading that book where I felt a sense of nostalgia, where she was writing and relating about her experience of growing up in New York and what it was like, you know, to grow up in general as a person about hopes and dreams and what really happens and like what really, you know, occurs. And um, it's a great book I, and I finished it and I can't recommend it more. I didn't know much about Patti Smith before I read this book. And now that I've read the book, I've been exploring her albums um, in regards to her musical career. And I should probably look up some of her poetry as well. Um, but I've read that um, great book. And I um, started to, I finished a series of t on Netflix, I believe it is called Don't F With Cats. And it's very, uh, <clears throat> dark three episode series of uh, these people who find this video of a person who kills the cat line uh, and then they hunt him, hunt them down. Uh, and it gets dark really quick. So if, you, if you're, if you're pressed for time for whatever reason these days, it's on my list. I don't know why you would be pressed for time. I mean, uh, and you want to watch something that's a little bit compelling, but also very dark. Uh, don't F with cats. We started watching Killing Eve, um, which is on Hulu, and uh, don't know how I feel about that show. It's like two sociopaths that are in love with each other. It's, it's, I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm going to continue the series. But anyway, Sterling, what are you reading? 
Uh, real quick, Don't F with Cats. Strong recommend. I agree with you there. That was good. Um, I'm reading currently A Living Spirit of Revolt, The Infrapolitics of Anarchism. Uh, that is by Ziga Vodenvik. I'm sorry if I butchered that. And it's really just kind of an analysis of anarchist theory and how it's been practiced in kind of post-capitalist society. Uh, super dense. I think I've reread every page about three times to fully understand <laughs> what they're talking about. You know, very dense literature, but uh, I've really enjoyed it so far. Um, this week, I watched, uh, same with you, Josh, I watched Don't F with Cats. And I had a little uh, Annie or uh, Woody Allen retrospective. Watched some Annie Hall, Manhattan, mm. uh, Warren Death. So yeah, I don't know if you guys are Woody Allen fans, but. Uh... Regardless of his uh, <clears throat> issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Uh, I do. Uh, I am a, a fan. Yeah, film only. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Corey, what are you what what are you reading? I'm I'm reading absolutely nothing right now, and so I'm going to say I'm uh, reading my uh, highly curated shit show Twitter right now. Uh, there you I've, go. Uh, uh, a lot of entertainment value on that. Page. Yeah, I'm 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 actually a Twitter fan. I don't do Facebook. I I rage quit that a few years ago, and it's been nice. Um, and every you know, I curate my interests on my Twitter feed to or curate my Twitter feed to my interests. And it and right now it's um, all journalists, you know, respected journalists that are credible and, and then some selections from both sides of the argument and uh, some commentators that I really uh, enjoy listening to. And, um, you know, that, that gives me all kinds of jumping off points to go do research and stuff like that. Sure. So, so that's my um, current reading and, um, my watching is um, so I'm a fan of uh, older sci-fi stuff, and so what I'm watching is uh, the series of I don't know if you guys remember the Stargate series. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. So the Richard the, Dean Anderson, yeah, uh, the Atlantis. He's not really in that one. So there was the second the, one, so a, a spinoff. Yeah. yeah. So um, they were actually concurrent, but. Um, oh, okay. uh, yeah, the spinoff series, Stargate Atlantis. And it's great. You know, like the plot is thin. Um, the bad guys are, um, you know, ghoulish and they don't worry too much about perfection. You know, like some of the more modern sci-fi is great. You know, it's just like a, basically a space drama, right? Like there's great stuff out there, like The Expanse. And I love that. But there's something that I miss about the nostalgia of the cheesy, corny, you know, like, oh, we're going to explore this completely removed, um, plot device about time travel for 45 minutes and then it's over and it's always resolved. You know, there's something that I miss about that, you know, like, like the simplicity and the, you know, whatever. So yeah, I'm, I'm rewatching those. I get through, you know, an episode or two a night or something before I fall asleep, but yeah. I, I will say I'll add a little something. I did watch, um, I'm kind of a, become a, a big fan of it. The, um, Oh, geez, Louise. Come on. Lost in Space, the, the reboot on Netflix. Never yeah, watched yeah. it. I've never watched it, but it's on my list. It's good. It's it's really uh the way they do it is is real um 
quite different, obviously, from the 1950s, 60s show that, that was on. Uh, uh, but uh, pretty, some pretty cool stuff. Pretty interesting. Good show. It's you know, suspend a little bit of disbelief because, you know, it's three or four hundred years in the future. And, you know, we'll get there, hopefully, eventually, if we get this next year over with, hopefully. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, pretty, I, I would, I, I recommend that if you haven't, uh, haven't seen that. Yeah, I'll put it on my list. Sterling, okay. are you, are you, are you, uh, what are you reading again? This is, oh yeah. What are you starting Sorry. now? You're going to start something new? Yeah. Th what I'm reading right now, you said? Yeah. What was it again? It is called A Living Spirit of Revolt, The Infrapolitics of Anarchism. And I'm pretty sure the author's name is Ziga Vodinvik. Um, I got it from PM Press. I'd really recommend them to anyone who wants like socialist, Marxist, anarchist, you know, literature, that kind of thing. Anything dealing with conflict theory. Is he uh, German? Uh, I am not sure what his, the author's uh, origin is, nationality. Um, professor in Slovenia. Um, I know that. This is the first book I've read by him, but just the title caught me and a few authors that I have read recommended it. So I figured I'd give it a shot, kind of get a bit more, bite my teeth into some anarchist theory. And and Corey, because you're new and you, you don't know Sterling, he is quite a bit younger than us. Uh, yeah. I, I have to say He's I'm a proud, proud father-in-law. This guy is uh, a good 20 plus years younger than I'm 44 and he's he's 20 years younger than I am. So yeah, uh, he's he, when you I love asking what he's reading because you know he comes up with the shit that I've never even had on my radar. Yeah, there's a generational gap, right? There is. Like, yeah, and it's stuff doesn't even occur to us um, guys that you know are not in that generation. And uh, yeah, I see it too um, with with some of my younger friends. I'm like, you're, you're, you're studying what? Well, that's cool. Wow. Yeah. Makes, just makes me feel old. Right. <laughs> that's that's exactly. really all it does. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's no clubs around here. So my only option is to sit around and read a uh, political theory. That's like 200 years old. Where, where are you based again? <laughs> uh, Idaho. Uh, yeah. Southern, Southern portion. Yeah. We'll, we'll believe that out. Yeah. Well, we just say, yeah, cause we're trying to, in general, Southern Idaho. But oh yeah, we want to area security was, but um, okay. yeah. yeah. So it's uh, I just wanted to bring that attention because you have never met him. So uh, yeah, yeah, I read a lot of weird stuff. I don't really do like no, narrative weird. books either. Generally, I mostly like you know history books, that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm with you on that. That that that's pretty interesting to me too. Like. I just, I, my, my excuse right now is I just don't have a book that I have open. Um, it's been a, it's been a, a month or so since I've read something. What but, was uh, the last book you read? It's just sitting over here. Hang on. Let me grab it. This is called it's backwards. 
It's called Dream State, a conspiracy theory. It's a deconstruction of reality um, from the perspective of somebody who uh, does that for a living, to say. Uh, it's by Jed McKenna. Um, he's great. He has a series of books, but essentially it, it's, it's the whole idea is to break reality uh, and um, be okay with that. And uh, it's, it's not like this psychological thing. It's more like, and I hate this word, but it's more like from the perspective of enlightenment. Enlightenment is breaking your own reality and not being all um, uh, meditative and Hindu or Buddhist or like that whole Eastern thing that gets associated with enlightenment. It's more like, no, this is, this is just normal stuff, but you're addicted to um your whole ego structure. And it's like breaking that. And um, so this is, it, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's sim- somewhat narrative, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a fresh perspective on uh, like. The, I, I'm kind the of spiritual subjects, but, I guess, yeah, but it's yeah. not really spiritual. It's more like, no, this is, this is as dry as possible. You know, it's not like all of that stuff is dogma. Like all of religion is dogma. Don't get messed with that. It's it's like really straightforward. Corey, did you ever read uh, Daniel Pinchbeck's Breaking Open the Head? No. No. No, I didn't. So this is a person who um, took a bunch of LSD, mushrooms, and DMT. Yeah, I know uh, of them pretty, yeah. And wrote about like experience with it and how it changed his perspective in regards to spirituality and all those things and breaking the matrix if you will in regards to um all of that i was just curious if that was if you had read it and if it's similar to what you're reading now yeah no i haven't um i do have a a fairly you know like one one level removed um relationship to him and the only thing i know about the guy and probably the reason why i haven't read any of his stuff is that the um the shaman that uh, I would do ayahuasca ceremonies with uh, years ago. Uh, also did, Daniel Pinchbeck did ayahuasca under that shaman. And uh, there was uh, not a uh, mutual respect uh, from the perspective of uh, the shaman. Uh, She said, you know, he's, he's not, he's in it for the money, (laughs) you know, and um, he's just out here trying to gain some experience so that he can make a buck. And it really, you know, she, she didn't speak highly of him. And there was, there was obviously a a falling out there. And so I, all right, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I I won't go see what he's up to, you know, it's not worth my time. And I just have never uh, explored what he had going on. And it may be very valid. So I I just don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Well, maybe when all this quarantine is over, we can get together and just fucking drink a bunch of ayahuasca. And uh, that's an episode. I mean, like the report of that experience will be an episode. (laughs) I don't know if we should like live stream it on Facebook. Or maybe we should. I don't know. (laughs) I always wanted to shit myself on the internet anyway. So a lot of it would just be people laying back, uh, (laughs) <laughs> laying down and uh rolling over and groaning and then you know because <laughs> it all goes on in your head for the most part you know like that doesn't sound very exciting <laughs> like oh yeah let's 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 watch eight hours of uh a couple of dudes puking 
we just gotta get the right soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get Netflix to pick it up. You know, some techno shit. They'll pick up anything. Uh, yeah. Yeah, All right, fellas. Anything. Yeah, Carl, thanks a lot. Corey, thanks for being with us. This it was week. great to meet you guys. Nice to meet you, Corey. Um, yeah, good meeting you. Anytime you want to be on, let us know. Um, we record once a week-ish, and uh, I think next week we're going to try to record on Sunday. Uh, if it all works out, and um, yeah, Sterling, bro, always, always sweet to. Uh, we can try a little later in the day too, if we want. I don't know. I, I'm drinking whiskey at 9 a.m. seems to really work for me. It worked for you, did it? Okay, well, hey, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we can end the show now and then, like keep talking because I can edit whatever else out. So you know, we're, we can be basically done with the show now and keep talking. And scene. And scene. okay, that was good. Oh, I was gonna tell you guys I meant to mention so I'll mention it maybe next week or whatever. So I'm preliminary looking into uh solar panels for the house. Mm. Oh nice. So that's uh, my jam. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll be Is right back. You... I uh I've got a solar powered uh hot tub that I built uh oh, nice. in my backyard. Um and yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're looking into it to have them professionally installed, but I, yeah. I happen to know a lot about it. You know, I build um I'm a um burning man guy so i've built wow. solar powered deep freezers for um for our camp for years and know a lot about it and build the controllers and build the the interface and all that stuff i'm just more like a general nerd but you know that's that home system is a different thing but yeah, yeah. what are you looking into yeah it's uh it's called so uh, the company Solgen, and the, the installers that, the installers yeah uh-huh. and the the um, my house sits perfectly south, so um, the only problem is I got about a dozen trees or so that um, sit about 50 feet back from my property. They're about 130 foot high, so they might have to do some topping out to be able to get some some winter sun. Get the get some winter sun, but also just make sure you get the summer sun 100% of the time because mm-hmm. you know they do the net metering thing where they you get credits on your bill during the summer. And then that offsets your winter bill. Yeah, you're, it's a grid-tight system that you're looking at. Yeah, yeah. Not an off-grid. No, yeah. no, not yet. The The battery system is like $50,000 for off-grid yeah. systems. So yeah, we're not there yet. Not there me. yet. That's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, I, like there's a return on it, but that the investment is large to actually yeah. go full off-grid. Exactly. And so I'm not not quite there yet. But the nice thing about it is it's, it's you know, the thing that got us is basically just substituting one power bill for another for 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know, or as long as I own the house or whatever. Right. So, um, you know, there's no money out of pocket, low interest rate, and um, uh, my bill shouldn't fluctuate too much either. I should actually should be saving a little bit of money. So we have an Airbnb off of our uh, main house, and so we I, we expect that's going to use up more energy than what we have been over the last three or four months. So. Um, yeah, I think uh, my bill was like three hundred and sixty bucks at the high on in the winter end, and and not counting the propane that I use because the the heating system is not the best. So, yeah. um, I have a propane installed heat Mister Heater down below that kicks ass in the in the winter, heats up the whole house pretty good. So, are you uh, fairly rural? Are you out in the country a bit? A, a little bit. Yeah, I live in Gig Harbor. Yeah, so, okay. Um, but uh, if you and knowing anything about it, it's across the spit going towards going towards Shelton. 
Yeah, I grew up in like um, North Tacoma, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know where it's at. So, yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm rural. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it'll be nice. Uh, um, there's a potential that if it earns if it yields enough power, I could actually tie it into my other rental property that's just right across the way from me on the same on my same property. Mm. Um, so I got a couple of rental, a duplex crossed from me. And so they, they said that you could potentially tie it into a second meter, uh, and offset some of the cost for that. If I'm not using all my credits. Mm. So, yeah, it gets weird when, when you, you um, basically <laughs> at that point you're installing the power company's equipment you know it's they essentially own it and, and they dictate what you can do with it which right. is really what's unfortunate about the grid tied systems because when it comes down to it solar panels are dirt cheap these days like it's yeah. not like it was when we were growing up in the 80s where they're like a thousand dollars fifteen two hundred two thousand dollars a panel you know they were right. ridiculous and the the return you know we're in the 350 to some of the really nice sun power ones are in the 400 watt range and they're like $300, like, so if you had a big enough system, a big enough controller, let's say Mm -hmm. it could handle that much power. um, You could just make it modular and then, uh, Oh, you build me the system, but way overbuild my controller. And in five years when I've got, three, four, five grand to drop. I, you just go outright by, um, uh, you know, uh, three, two kilowatts of power and mm-hmm. then just pop it on. It's literally like, it's like, you know, two connectors and then you're done. You know, it's yeah. just like, like daisy chaining some batteries, mm-hmm. essentially, you know, mm-hmm. positive to negative, positive to negative, positive yep. to negative. And all of a sudden you've got, you know, three kilowatts of power and then you got a positive and a negative and you just trunk it into your system. And then all of a sudden you're producing that much more power and you can locate it somewhere else too. You know, right? you don't, you know, obviously you want it probably tied into your system, but, um, if you get a big enough controller, you can then not, you won't, if you ever wanted to expand it, you wouldn't have to go and buy the, uh, you know, $1,500 controller again, you know, that has enough capacity, you know? Um, so that's something to, to think about. And, you know, you could, you could probably talk to the installers and say, Hey, overbuild my controller and give me a place to plug in, um, you know, another, another array, another series. And, um, you could on your own easily double, the um, capacity well they're, they're putting 56 of these panels on my on my house that's pretty big that's, wow. that's nice yeah so um and and they oversize it in order to create more power during the the winter the the, the summer actually to create more power during the summer mm. so that it builds up my credits so that if for some reason the winter isn't producing as much power which it probably it won't but it'll mm. still keep it, it'll help offset that Right. And, and so the hope is, is okay. It's a user to lose it thing. So it like, if you have all these credits and you don't use them by like March 1st, you lose them. The hope is if I add, if I'm able to route in my other property to be able to use up those credits as well, that's what I want to do. Cause I paid for that. You know, that's a, that was a $300 a month bill as well over on the, uh, 
other side of the property over there. So, um, you know, if I can serve two properties with this one system, um, that would be ultimately the goal. But yeah, that's cool. But yeah, the batteries is definitely something that I want and something my wife wants. Um, is she doesn't want to be tied to this to the to the grid either. Yeah, um, I bet for my hot tub. Have you ever seen a pouch cell, like a lithium pouch cell? I haven't. It's what our phones have. They're basically, oh, okay. you know, they're, they're, they look like yep. tinfoil, you know, like, or like a, um, probably you guys in your eyes parlance, like an MRE, except, um, sucked with no flat. air in it, you yep. know? Yeah. Flat. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, so our phone ones, you know, are like this big, right? Yep. Pretty small. Yeah. I, I built, um, 30 amps a piece uh each of these cells 30 amps at 3.2 volts and there's eight of them so i built a um the math works out the way that i paralleled and series it it works out that uh i it's a 24 volt battery um at 30 amps um so i've got 30 amps of 100 percent usable battery power it's not like lead acid where you don't want to discharge more than 50% and then you're cutting into the life of the battery. Right. That's, that's the problem with lead acid is that if you deep discharge these things, you're, you're cutting their, your their lifetime in like by a quarter. It's, it's, right. it's ridiculous. Yeah. So you don't have to then double your battery capacity. So um, I built it. I, I kind of wish that I had gotten maybe a 50 amp setup, but um what I did was, uh, you know, I, I kind of spec'd it out so that um, normal operation, it completely kills it overnight um, in the winter. And uh, then there's no way, I don't have enough panel. Um, I don't have enough panel. These are just like really small 100 watt panels that I've got. I don't have enough panel to restore in the winter uh, the full battery capacity. But what I did was grid tight it essentially is mm-hmm. that I, I built a switch that when the battery capacity reaches, you know, below a certain point before, it, you know, like it's got 20 minutes left of runtime or whatever it is, mm-hmm. I flip on the grid that then charges it up and will support it. It'll charge it and run the whole system at, at once. And, you know, it can go a week or two weeks of never getting full charge by the sun, but the, the grid is supporting it. It's, so it's essentially the same thing as a grid tied solar system yeah. in a house. It's just that it's on a small scale and um, lack of safeties also, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, like I'm just using like little internet of things, switches that detect voltage, you know, like, Oh, when the voltage reaches this point, turn on the grid yeah. and dump power into it. But um yeah, it, it seems to work great. It's been up for like two years and um, working great. Uh, yeah, so that, and that and that stuff's really accessible, you know. But uh, so I did the math for um, for the batteries that I used. They're Lit Life Po Four, which is uh, kind of a tweaked and much much safer than lithium ion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and what happens if you short the positive and negative? It will not blow up. You know all those scary videos of 
laptops catching fire and idiots on YouTube putting a mm -hmm. hole through a lithium ion battery and then a fountain of fire comes up, you know, so that won't happen That's with LIFO4. And so you, the, you see those a lot used in um, mission critical situations. Um, the reason why they use lithium ion in its variants is because it has a little bit more power density. The, the nominal voltage is 3.7 volts versus 3.2. And so um, you only need lithium ion, you need three batteries to get to 12 volts, which is kind of the magic number uh, for, for devices. Whereas with LIFEPO4, you need four batteries. So you, you're actually increasing the cost a little bit but it's a much safer system safe, and yeah. life before gets used for solar. You don't use lith um, lithium ion for solar. Anyway, um, I did the math and it turned out that my 30 amps is actually cheaper than uh, lead acid for the, the depth of discharge, the over the lifetime, like this, this battery is, these batteries can do 2000 cycles where a, um, where, a, you know, a lead acid battery is no way, you know, you're every four or five years, you have to replace your batteries. Um, uh, so yeah, the initial cost of the lead acid is less, but if I were to say, oh, I get, I'm going to get 15, 20 years out of these batteries, you know, I, and I don't have to touch them, then yeah, it's cheaper that way. Yeah. So um, definitely look into that, you know, especially in five years as things go on, you know, and as we, we really, uh, what is Tesla's super, mega factory, ultra factory, whatever he calls yeah, it. Doing their power cell or power walls. Oh yeah. No, I got those right now, but yeah, that's cute. Yeah. We, we've been able to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's, they're... that's just a fancy thing on, on, on a way of switching between grid and battery power. Right. Yeah. No, I'm talking about his mega factory thing down in Nevada or whatever that is. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The... Once that thing really comes online is an, and it's really producing batteries and it's going to like, I guess that's the hope anyway, is that, that lithium, that lithium, yeah, those yeah. chemistries become really cheap and, or we come up with the magic bullet that gives us two more, two times more power density per, you know, per unit, whatever, per, per amp or, I don't well, know. Well, you think that, you think if that, once that technology, as it gets more and more spread out, like you said, his factory hopefully will be doing that then you get more research, right? Cause now people then are trying to come up with the new thing mm -hmm. that can, and that's how you get your technological advancement is, okay, we got this little thing going on here and it's doing something. Okay. Now the potential of it is grown to a point now that tracks other people into it. And now they put more R and D dollars into it and you get more breakthroughs and just, it kind of then goes on its own. Mm -hmm. right? And when so, we get the GOP, oil industry, oil lobby out of it that are continually thwarting and, and dumping money into countering it. And yeah, I mean, we're working against ourselves here and it's, it's like trying to swim up tide right now. Exactly. Which you can make money at anything and everything. Don't worry. As soon as Rex Tillerson sells all his oil stock and buys enough lithium stock, we'll get it. That, we'll that's... I'm just waiting on Rex. It's Thanks all the Rex. big players, right? It's all those yeah. guys. They got to try and see where the dollars are in. So then it'll happen. Hopefully it'll happen sooner than that. But anyway, I just wanted to bring that up and just kind of throw that out there. Cool. We'll talk, talk about some of that stuff next week. Yeah. Send pictures. I will. All right. Yeah, it's going to be like eight to 12 weeks right now because of the whole slowdown and whatnot. But uh, mm -hmm. um, 
the biggest thing is is the 26 percent uh offset mm. uh subsidy that i'm getting to bring it down to a decent price yeah i'd, I'd be curious to pick your brain after that process to to really see how it went and because we're, we're thinking about doing it on our house okay so yeah i'll uh, i'll definitely uh i'll definitely make sure i'm taking notes and let you know exactly there i'm mm. not supposed to be doing anything like there other than being on the phone available for a couple of questions and whatnot and maybe signing some paperwork they're taking care of the whole process permitting right all that stuff so uh mm-hmm. sign and get me signed up with the uh peninsula light company to because mm-hmm. uh, you gotta fill out a whole form and stuff like that so mm. i've done a little bit of looking into it so i'm excited yeah cool congrats all right, guys. Anyway. All right. Well, it was. A, I think it was a good one. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, my uh, my internet kept cutting out.